We live currently right now in a world that is more anxious and more depressed than it has been in our country's history. Uh, This generation is one generation that is more anxious than any other generation in the past. And as we move to a uh, post-Christian society, we have less and less people finding their worth and value and sense of self in Christ. And so people are moving away from that. Now, it's important for us to understand that as we walk and live this life, our whole job is to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to pour ourselves out for him, the purposes that he has for us. Today, we're gonna be looking at 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 19. And as we're looking at this passage today, John is gonna give us a spiritual discipline to be as effective as we possibly can be in this life. But before I tell you what that discipline is, it's a discipline that uh, for many of us, would not, we wouldn't consider it a discipline, we would consider it a weakness. And for many of us, we don't have the opportunity to do this a whole lot. For many of us, we just don't make the decision to. And it is the issue of rest. John is gonna talk to us about what it looks like for us to rest in the presence of God. What does it look like for us to rest? For many of us, like I said, it's just a hard thing to rest. It's challenging. We've got a lot to do. I don't do this really well. I have a lot to do. There's a lot of people to help. There's a lot of things to go, that, are, that are going on. So how do we find ourselves at rest with God? Well, John's gonna give us a little how-to on that. Today's gonna be super practical. We're gonna dive in. First John chapter three, verse 19 starts like this. We're gonna read the first verse and then talk about it for a while. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. In other words, to God. And how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. I think the first thing that I wanna say about this verse right here is, you know, he's talking about how we set our hearts at rest in his presence, right? He's gonna talk to us about how to do that in a second. But it's important for us to realize, and I think it's amazing that this is a priority for for John. He's writing this to the church saying, all of us need to find our rest in Jesus. And this is not a vacation. This is not time away. This is not your weekend. This is not, this is a heart that throughout the week is placed at rest because we have a kind of intimacy with God that is different. We have truth between us and God and intimacy with, with, between us and God. And I don't think this describes many of our experiences. And honestly, I don't even think it describes many of our expectations when it comes to our spiritual lives. But it's true, like when we are appropriately vulnerable with the people around us and appropriately truthful with the people around us, it puts us at rest. You know why? Because when you are appropriately vulnerable, and let's just say this at the, at the, at the beginning. Okay, listen, this is a, just a principle I want you to understand. Everyone should be vulnerable with someone. No one should be vulnerable with everyone. Okay, you catch that? Because you need to curate the right voices in your life who can listen to you and who are trustworthy for you to share yourself with, right? And it's hard to do that because when we're talking about vulnerability, what we're talking about is risk. We're talking about somebody, exposing yourself in such a way to somebody else that, man, they can crush They can crush you in that process. And this is one of the reasons why many of us don't do it. But when we do it, it creates bulletproof relationships in your life. Why? Because when you express all of yourself, and we're gonna talk about in just a second, like telling the whole truth. But when you tell the truth of who you are to someone else, and you are appropriately vulnerable with that person, man, on the other side of that, when they receive you and accept you and love you in that moment, you're in the best possible relationship that you can be in. Now, for some of us though, Instead of doing that, we fall into kind of the Instagram trap of life, right? And I'm not, a, I'm not an anti-technology guy, and I don't think social media is the devil. I really don't. I think it's neutral, 
And I think it's used by people in both good and bad ways. The gospel is going forward on social media, on Instagram, in ways I never thought it would. That's, it's great things are happening. However, here's, here's a weakness. Many of us present the Instagram version of ourselves online, and it's like, check out my incredible meal that I have all the time. This is how we eat all the time, right? But, but it's not, right? Because you have meatloaf at, at home. You have, my mom used to make the worst meatloaf. It was the worst thing. Dried ketchup on the top, boom. It is horrible. It was so terrible. But, but, but we don't show the meatloaf. We don't show the leftovers, right? We just show the great things. And here's, here's, here's how this damages you, not others, you. For, for many of us, when we present this Instagram version of our life with our friends and our families and our neighbors, and, and honestly, with God, here's what ends up happening. As we present this picture, we have to maintain the picture. And therefore, there's a lot of energy that's expended just trying to keep up with this image. Watch this, super important. And for many of us, this is called imposter syndrome. We have this mindset behind the scenes that I'm really not this person. Now, listen, did you go have that meal? Did you have a delightful night? You did. It's part of your life. It's just not all of your life. And so what sometimes happens is we develop a part of ourselves where we live out of the superficiality of it and say, you know what? This is just my whole life. And because of that, we're always afraid we're gonna get found out. That when we expose ourselves to someone else, when we are appropriately vulnerable with someone else, they'll go, oh, that's not the Instagram version that I fell in love with. That's not the Instagram version that is my friend. But if you want a bulletproof relationship in your life, if you want people who are close to you in life, you have to risk vulnerability and tell the whole truth. If not, we find ourselves being in very difficult situations. But, but, but like when we're not being truthful and vulnerable with each other, what can happen? Well, I think there are three different spheres that we have to be truthful and vulnerable in in our lives. The first sphere is with each other. We have to be truthful and vulnerable with each other, right? You gotta pick the right people, but you have to be truthful and vulnerable with some people in your life. Then you have to be truthful and vulnerable with God. And then you have to be truthful and vulnerable with yourself. And if you don't hit these three areas of your life, your life will be spiritually muted, right? Like for example, when we're not being truthful and vulnerable, our hearts are anxious, right? And, and so I have this practice with people who are close to me and I just do this with them, right? But by the way, all healthy conflict, all healthy people have healthy conflict. Conflict is a non-negotiable. If you avoid conflict, you're just pushing the problem down the road and it's gonna get worse, okay? So healthy conflict is what we're shooting for. And so here's the thing. I will always say this to them. Okay, look, here's the thing. What's the last 10%? When you get to the end of the conversation, ask the person, what is the last 10% that you need to say to me right now? Do you know why? Because many of us are great at going 90% of the way and then we just hold back that last part because it's too intimate. I don't want to tell you how you really disappointed me. I don't want to tell you how I'm really frustrated with you because that's going to be hard. It is going to be hard, but that's where the most progress is made in the last 10%. So many of you know that I was the counselor before I was a pastor. And so I was uh, interacting with these people, this couple. And I had been counseling for about six months and we had gone through uh, just all kinds of things. And, and I would, taught them some very practical ways to communicate, open-ended questions, reflective listening, and all those kind of things that were helpful. And, and by the way, most people think like, uh, <laughs> they think communication problems are the biggest problems in marriage. They're not. I mean, the truth is you're communicating fine. You just don't like what the other person's saying, right? That's true. It's not, I just, I don't understand what you're saying. No, you do. You just hate it, okay? That's, that's, that's a different thing. 
So I'm, I'm talking to this couple, I'm talking to this couple, and, and it's going good. They've made some progress. In, instead of the intense fighting that they were having before, they're a lot less volatile. But there was something cold between them, and I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out, like, what was happening? Why was one cold? Why was the other cold? There was something more, and I felt like the Spirit told me, hey, talk to them individually. And so I did that. I broke up this couple for, for uh, two sessions, talked with him, talked with her, found out she was having an affair. So 90% of what she did in counseling was great and was helpful for their marriage, but there was this thing behind the scenes where she just didn't express the whole truth. And because she didn't express the whole truth, she and they were in bondage. It wasn't all her fault. It wasn't all his fault. It wasn't just, it's always a combination of factors that go into these kinds of things. But at the end of the day, the fact that she wasn't willing to be vulnerable in that relationship and she wasn't being truthful always meant that they would stay where they were. The same thing's true in your life. If you have things in your life between you and someone else and you're not being appropriately vulnerable and you're not being appropriately truthful with them, then you will be stuck where you are in that relationship until you have the courage to say, I'm gonna do this. But let me encourage you. The Bible teaches us that the truth will set you free. That when you are actually vulnerable with the right people, with the right people, that when you are vulnerable with that person and on the other side, uh, it's hard, but it's worth it. And then just the end of that whole marriage situation is they actually ended up staying together and have a very strong relationship that's much more bulletproof than it used to be before. I want to be at rest with people that I love. I want a heart that is at rest with the people that I love. And never, never, never is this more important than when I'm talking with God because I love him so much. And I think I have to be appropriately vulnerable with him. And I think I have to be appropriately truthful with him as well. And this may be, by the way, one of the reasons why some of you get frustrated with your spiritual lives and maybe you're, like not, you're not a follower of Jesus yet and you're trying to figure out your relationship with God and you kind of like take a step, you'll come to church and then you won't come back for nine months. You might do. Here, here's the reason why that happens a lot. It's because we're not being appropriately vulnerable with God. Because there's this weird thing in people's minds that basically says, like, you know, as long as I'm not in church and I'm not hearing the word, I'm not doing stuff, I'm not praying, or no, then God can't really see what I'm doing. You know, like God, God doesn't really know what's going on in my life. But when I come into the church, and this is why you hear people say this, all, I've heard of like a hundred times when I'm talking to people like, come to grace, it'd be great. She goes, he'll, he'll say, I, I'm not gonna come to grace. If I walked in there, the whole place would like burst into flames. You know, there's no way. I said, you don't know the people who attend grace. You're, you're, you'd be fine here. You're great here. You'll be all right. And, and here's, here's the, but the mindset behind it is, if I'm not engaging, I'm just kind of anonymous. God's not got me on his radar. But the reality is, here's what you want. You want him on your radar because here's why. He already knows everything that you've done, everything that you're doing right now, and everything that you're gonna do in the future. And here's the crazy thing about it. And this is the only relationship in your life that's like this, the only one in your life. God still wants a relationship with you no matter how bad you've been, how bad you're being, and how bad you will be in the future. He knows your sins from the past, the present, and the things that you're gonna do down the road. And he still wants a relationship with you. He still says, I love you and I choose you and I wanna be in relationship with you. That's crazy. Every other relationship on the planet, husband, wife, friends, family, they have boundaries and they have limits and they have a too far. You can never run too far from God where God doesn't say, I'm ready for you, son. I'm ready for you. I want you to come home. And guys, we want that for you too. Not because it grows a church, not because there's any other motivation other than simply just saying, we want you to be happy and whole. And one day we will all be happy and whole through Christ and only through Jesus. So we keep going. 
And uh, we, we approach God sometimes because we're not appropriately vulnerable with God. We approach God with some weird formality, right? And, and I think sometimes, you, and you see, you've been in churches like this too, or you've, been, you've, you've run around Christians like this too, where you go to the church and it's like all like really, you know, like, oh, you know, and it's just like, and I think like what's happening in those situations? Well, generally what's happening is there's kind of like a, a formality because formality creates distance from me so that I don't have to be in kind of intimacy, in intimate connection with you. And so I've heard people pray these prayers and I've seen the most simple prayers be the most beautiful prayers, but dear heavenly father who sits enthroned on, in, your, in heaven, whose glory is exceedingly glorious and you are majestic in all of your manifold ways. No one speaks like that except in church when they're praying to God. Why? How about this prayer right here? I think it's better. Dear God, I yelled at the kids today. I don't like my wife very much right now. I'm really tired. I'm filled with anxiety. And I don't know the solution to my problems. Please help me. By the way, this is Mike Adkins at 2300 Pembroke Drive. <clears throat> what about a prayer like that? That's just a little bit more real? That maybe we could even say it's a little bit more truthful because it's vulnerable. You see, talking to God is easy if you have a relationship with him. You just have to strip out all the weird formality. That doesn't mean that we don't believe that God is glorious and amazing and more than we are. It just means that we have access, because we know this from the scriptures in Romans, we have access to the Father through the Son who has healed us of our spiritual disease. The Father looks at you as a Christian, Christian, and sees his Son's goodness and beauty and kindness. And you go, but I'm a sinner. I'm still messing up. He knows. He just took out all of his wrath and all the condemnation and all the punishment on Jesus instead of you. And we walk in that now. We have no condemnation. Verse 19 again. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. How do we know? And how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Here it is, verse 20. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And he, God, knows everything right? So if our hearts condemn us. So, so first thing I just wanted, just like a, a little piece of advice. This is a counter-cultural piece of advice. Everywhere in the world, they tell you, especially if you're younger, follow your heart. It is the worst psychological advice. It is the worst spiritual advice, and it will produce more negative outcomes in your life if you follow your heart. Here's the reason why. The Bible teaches us the heart is desperately wicked, which means it generates its own sources of wickedness, right? Watch this. So part of that is right here. If our hearts condemn us, so there are times when your heart is actually yelling at you and saying terrible things about you. For some of you, this is a daily battle. It's a daily challenge for you. Your mind says things like this. Oh, by the way, um, just so you know, like the concept of heart here, in the New Testament 2,000 years ago, they thought of the heart as the thinking apparatus of the body. So we could change this to, if our brains condemn us, we know that God is greater than our brains. So there's something inside some of us because of the past experiences that we've gone through and because of just the wiring that we have, just kind of like the nature that we have, that just is filled with condemnation. When you mess up, your mind goes, why are you so stupid? Why don't you get anything right? Why, don't you, why aren't you better than you are? Why doesn't someone love you right now? Why don't you have a relationship right now? You're unlovable. And when your brain is condemning you, here's what he says to do. You want a heart that's at rest? You want to be peaceful with God? 
Well, a brain sometimes or your heart sometimes condemning you will not do that. Don't listen to it. If your brain condemns you, know that God is what? Greater, bigger, larger, more wonderful than our hearts. So in other words, you have a choice. You can tune in to what your brain is saying, or you can tune out and tune into the fact that God is saying better things about you. One of the best things that you can do for yourself if you struggle with anxiety and you struggle with depression right now is that you can go into the scriptures and memorize scriptures and those scriptures specifically that are the promises of God to you. Just look at it, Google promises of God to me and then start reading those things. I'm not gonna tell you that's gonna take all of your depression and anxiety away. Listen, there are endogenous forms of depression and anxiety, which are biologically based. And what that means basically is this. It's not that you're like, you're, you know, you're done, you're toast, you're never gonna get that figured out. It simply means this, that certain stressors down here cause you to just fall apart. Whereas other people might be right here where everything falls apart. Everyone falls apart at some point. But here's what you need to know. You need to know that even though those things are true, that there are some biological versions of them, you can still accomplish everything that God wants you to accomplish in this world with that challenge. Charles Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers in uh, British history, and he was probably one of the greatest preachers, period. But Spurgeon, even though he taught thousands and thousands of people and tens of thousands of people became followers of Jesus underneath his, uh, his ministry, there were times when Spurgeon couldn't get out of bed for two or three days. There were times where a week at a time, he was depressed and anxious and worried and concerned. And he prayed every day that God would lift it off him. Never did. Not because God didn't love him, but because ultimately one day God would make him whole. But that wholeness is not promised this side of heaven. So you will struggle in this world, Jesus said. But he said, don't take heart because you're gonna get it all figured out here. He said, take heart because I've overcome this world. We believe in another world. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. What he says about us is more true. What he, said about, what he says about us is right. This is what we believe. In our hearts, he knows everything. So instead of the imposter syndrome that we walk around with sometimes, being afraid that someone's gonna find out that we're not our Instagram version, God looks at us and he goes, I know you already. I know that you're like messed up on the inside. I know that you're lustful and you're angry and you're fearful and you're rageful. And I know that you're all these things, but I love you anyway. It's the only relationship in your life that will be like that. The only relationship where God says, I'm 100% in and I will never, ever, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. So there are two types of sorrow that are in the Bible, kind of like moroseness or depression or slight depression. 2 Corinthians 7.10, Paul talks about them and they have very different outcomes. And there's something very surprising about them. For the kind of sorrow, for the kind of sorrow or conviction that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. So first thing I want you to see here is there is a kind of sorrow God wants us to experience. Did you see that? So here's, here's how I want you to like reframe some of this stuff because I think, Psychology is wonderful, but I think sometimes it does us wrong. And this is one of the ways in which it does us wrong. It labels everything, says everything's a problem. But I think God gave us anxiety, and I think he gave us depression as kind of warning signs in our life that we're off track and that we need to pay attention. So one day I was driving down the road, and uh, I was on my way to New Smyrna Beach, right? Uh, the redneck capital of beaches. And, uh, and I was on my way to New Smyrna Beach, and uh, just driving down uh, the two-lane road, and, and uh, all of a sudden my car just goes, you know, up on the screen, it flashes this big orange triangle with this exclamation point, And it says, you know, warning. And, and, and I'm driving, you know, really slow. And, uh, 
And, um, and, and, I, and I look at my dashboard, and I start thumbing around on the, da- on, the, on the steering wheel, trying to figure out like what's going on with this thing. And it says, your tire pressure is really low. Now, I have the opportunity to be honest with myself or not to be honest with myself and to do something based on that. So not only do we have to be honest with God and appropriately vulnerable with God, but we have to be appropriately vulnerable with ourselves and tell the truth, right? So at that point, I could have done one of two things. I could have said, you know, as my tire's going down, I'll just drive really fast and get there right? Because it's a beach day and I want to have the beach day. Or I can tell myself the truth, the beach day has been ruined and that's terrible and I hate it. Uh, but I got to go do this thing that's responsible. So I, I can do it. Like I could, I could continue to drive on the tire, but here's the thing. As I continue to drive on the tri- tire, going faster and faster and faster as I move down life, I have no idea when that tire is going to blow out on me and it's going to cause a big giant crash. The same thing is true when you ignore the warning signs inside your body like anxiety and depression. Because if you just keep going and say, you know what? All I need to do is accelerate faster. All I need to do is do more, try harder, bigger, better, more. The problem with that is you just have no idea when everything is going to fall apart and the tire is going to come off. And so what we do instead is we take advantage of the warning signs and go, God, I feel anxious about this upcoming something that I'm, that's going on. Maybe the Lord said, hey, I want, you to, I want you to be anxious about that because I want you to be your absolute best and you're going to fall short unless you feel the pressure, whatever it is. But sometimes we use these things, God uses these things as a way of moving us to where he wants. Look, for the kind of sorrow or conviction that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. I was having a conversation with this guy and uh, he said, he said, Pastor Mike, I'm ready to come back to church. And I said, that's great, man. I think that is your next step. I think everyone needs to be in church. And he said, uh, he said I want to. He said, but I'm in this relationship right now that I know that God would not, uh, God would not like. And I just don't want to give that relationship up right now. And I said, well, you're in a difficult situation. And, and I'm never the kind of guy that like when someone comes and tells me something like that, where I'm like, well, the Bible says this, you better do it now. Because I don't think that actually produces lasting change. I talked to him and I said, listen, here's the reason why that relationship for you is not the right relationship. It's because when you walk outside of God's plan for your life, when you are living in a way that God doesn't desire for you to live, you don't have the protection of God. You don't have... God's presence in that relationship, and therefore there's no protection in that situation. So you're kind of on your own to figure it all out. And that often leaves people kind of like unhappy and dissatisfied. So I said, you probably should turn away from this, from this sin. And, and, and you know what would happen if you turn away from this sin? It's gonna result in salvation. Not like you're going to heaven, but salvation in this sense means like a change of betterment of your circumstances, right? So he wants us, so for the kind of sorrow or conviction that God wants us to experience, it leads us away from sin and into salvation. By the way, when you do that, when you take that step, there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. On the other side of that sorrow, you'll be like, I'm so glad I had that anxiety. That was really, that told me something. It was time for me to adjust the channel. It's time, and for some of you right now, you need to adjust the channel. You're in a relationship right now. Ladies, I'm not talking about if you're married, you're, you're, you're good. So, uh, but, but if, you're, if you're dating right now and you're in that relationship and you know it's time to let him go, then let him go. Be honest with yourself. Be truthful with yourself. You're like, I got two years in, man. I'm like two years. It's a long time. Like we live together. It's just like, it's what we're, like how, this is terrible. Like, what am I going to do? You know, like he's okay. I mean, he's all right. Let him go. Why? Because that's not worthy of you. You need to let him tell yourself the truth. It's going to be hard, but watch this. When you walk away from a relationship or a situation or any kind of sin, 
It's gonna result in the salvation, the God's rescue of your circumstances. And watch it, there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. On the other side of this, you're not gonna look back and go, gosh, I wish I'd have done something else. No, trust the Lord. Have appropriate level of intimacy with yourself to say, I need to tell myself the truth in this situation and trust God's plan for your life. But, but if that's not the choice that you make, worldly conviction, which looks very much like this kind of conviction, worldly conviction, uh, but worldly conviction, sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. If you choose to say, I'm not gonna walk God's path, then you need to understand that will have deleterious or negative consequences in your life. It just will. It will produce bad fruit in your life. And he's like, I don't want this for you. I want you to be okay. I don't want you to walk this road. So what are we supposed to do? Verse 20, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. What we're gonna do is we're gonna trust his words, his ways, better than our words and our ways because he knows everything. And when it says that he knows everything, it means actually that he knows the outcome of every choice that you're going to make. And so here's God in his perfect knowledge of all things. He can see the series of choices you're making right now and all the possible outcomes of those choices. He can see the direction that he wants you to go in and all the possible outcomes of those directions. And he's looking at you and he's going, hey, this is the direction I want you to go in because these possible outcomes are so much better than the ones you're choosing. So find yourself in my rest. Find yourself in my path. Some of us, we don't let go of the things that we need to let go. And because of that, we're holding back that last 10%. We're like, I'm gonna give you 90, God. I'm all about 90. I'll give you 90. But that last 10%, I'm just gonna hold on for myself. It's gonna be mine and it's gonna be mine. It's, I'm not gonna give it to you. But this is a description of a heart at rest with God. Verse 21, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. If I can just be appropriately vulnerable with you, it's hard for me to imagine this scripture. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, uh, I have worked super hard to get rid of all of the programming and garbage from my past when I grew up in an abusive relationship with my father. But every once in a while, there are still voices. Every once in a while, it still says, you're not gonna do anything. You're not gonna be okay. And I have to fight it back with God's truth. But there are those whose hearts do not condemn them and they have confidence before God and they receive from him anything they ask because they keep his commandments and they do what pleases him. He's not saying right here that this is some golden ticket to get everything that you want, like God's a genie, rub the lamp and all of a sudden it's gonna work out, but that there are some of us who have yielded ourselves to him in such a way that our hearts no longer scream at us anymore. I hope that as I approach the day in which Jesus says it's time for me to see him, that there are less and less of those voices. And I need you to know there are less of those voices in my life today than there were 25 years ago. And for some of you, you are 25 years ago. You're in the middle of it right now. And there'll be some of those lesser voices that will happen over time as you surrender yourself to Jesus. Because his desire for you is not for you just to run 100 miles an hour, avoiding the warning signs on the dashboard of your life. He wants you to rest. He wants you to pull back, not from activity. The problem is not activity. The problem is what's in here, not out here. He goes on, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive anything that we ask from him because we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. 
So Jesus talks about the Father's heart towards us, and he says this in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 9. Which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Hey, Dad, can I have a piece of bread? Here's a rock, right? It's, a, it's just that no one would do that. Or if he asks for a fish, how about this snake, right? Verse 11, everyone's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Verse 11, if you then, though you are evil, he's talking about the heart, the heart is desperately wicked, even though you are desperately wicked on the inside, know how to give good gifts to your children, He's talking about his father. How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I think there's just something because of the way we program ourselves and we've been programmed in the past. I think because of the struggles that we've had that we stop asking for stuff along the way. And we're not giving, we're not giving God the appropriate intimacy and value that he deserves by giving all of ourselves, the last 10%. If you grew up in the church, you can finish this verse. And so I want you to, right? Uh, we have not because we, because we ask not right? I think for some of us, we just stopped asking a long time ago because you're like, this is my lot in life. And he's actually saying, no, no, no. Look, God's desire is that he will do more for you than you know. How much more will your father in heaven give you good gifts if you'll simply ask him? But I think the reason why we don't is because we don't want to put ourselves in the vulnerable position before God to say, here's what I really want, God. Here's what I desperately desire, God. Because we're afraid he's going to say no. Listen, if he says no, it's because he's looked at all the possible outcomes of that situation and found that there's no outcome in the choices that you're making that are gonna be good for you. But instead of that, he opens up a whole new set of possible outcomes. And if you'll walk my way, I will deliver these outcomes to you. So here's a verse that Jesus is, is talking here too. And these are some verses that really cause a lot of people to have stress when it comes to their relationship with God. Here, here it is. And I hope to clarify this for you and never have you struggle with this again. Matthew chapter seven, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do or the will of my father who is in heaven, all right? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is he saying right here? He's saying, not everybody who's religious is gonna go to heaven. Not everybody who is religious is going to make it. And now for many Christians, I've just heard this over the years, they, they get really freaked out by this. They're like, well, how do I know that I'm not one of these people, Right? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do or does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay? So he makes it conditional. He says, if you do the will of my Father in heaven, you're going to go to heaven. Verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, what day? This is the day of judgment. So it's us before the Father. Many will say to me on that day, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? And did we not perform miracles? Well, here's what I know. This week, I haven't prophesied or produced any miracles or cast out any demons. Actually, I've never done those things. And probably you haven't either. So these guys are spiritual rock stars. And what does the scripture in verse 23 say? Then I will tell them plainly, I never, know, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Go to verse 22 again. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. So here's what's happening. This is a group of people inside the church or outside the church that are just religious. And these people are basing and making conditional their relationship with God, not on intimacy, vulnerability, and truth. What they're doing is they don't have vulnerability with God. They have a resume of things that they've done, prophesied, cast out demons, performed miracles. And so when they get to heaven, they say to God, God, we're here because we've done all these amazing things. Look at what I've done. 
It would be like me going to heaven and saying, God, look what I've done. Have you seen our Christmas services? Like, they're amazing. And God goes, oh, yeah, great. Come on in, pal. No, that's not it, right? When you get to heaven, you don't have to have a resume like this in order for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have one answer. I'm here because Jesus invited me. I'm here because Jesus invited me. So what that means for you today is that you don't have to be working all the stuff for God. Many of us just feel like we're after constantly doing stuff for God or just doing stuff for ourselves, try to be a good person, look up in heaven, go, God, I hope you're pleased with me. That's not the, that's not the test, folks. The test is, have I trusted Christ with my life? Heaven forbid that we arrive and say, here's my, here's my uh, resume, God. And then he says to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. I want you to see this principle that I hope will help set your heart at peace. Here it is. We must get over the idea that we're working for God and only then can we work with God. Did you catch it? We've got to stop trying to work for God and to impress God because the Bible says that our righteousness, the best that we have, is as filthy rags. So the opposite of that is for us to work with God, to do the things that he wants us to do out of an intimacy and truthfulness that we have cultivated with him with ourselves and with other people. This is what we do. And this is how the whole thing ends. It ends with us having intimacy with God, intimacy with others, and intimacy with ourselves. This last verse, it says it like this. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Our hope in the future, our hope in the present is Jesus. Our hope in the present and our hope in the future is Jesus. That's all that we can depend on. And if you trust in him and you tell him the last 10% of what's in here and you tell those who are, who are close to you the last 10% that's in here, you'll have a better relationship with God. You'll have better relationships with other people. And if you tell yourself what is truthful and you're appropriately uh, uh, intimate with yourself, then and only then will you have a better relationship with yourself you'll be at peace, a heart at peace. God grants peace to those he loves. Amen? Amen. We pray. Father, we, uh, we acknowledge right now that the concept of rest and the idea of, of peacefulness in your presence is challenging for us because we're people who have so much to do. There's so many things to do, God. And even in ministry, it's so easy for us just to think, you know, you know Lord, I, there's so many needs to be met so many people that need to be helped. I just have to do things for you. But Father, we want to rest in your presence. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to do things and be active. It just means, God, that we want a heart that's at rest with you. Because you see all of us. You see everything that we think, feel, act, and do. And you still have received us. Thank you for that confidence that we can have. Thank you for those that you put into our life that receive us in that same kind of way. They've seen the hard things in our life. They've seen the warts. They've seen the terrible things. And they still walk with us. It's a bulletproof relationship, God. And it's given by you. So we just pray, Lord, that you would consistently cultivate those people in our lives and give us the courage to be willing to risk. It's in your name we pray. Amen.